Have you ever given her like a real sensual experience, like blindfolded her, maybe brought like prepared it ahead of time, like a platter of goodies and like blindfolded her with like nice velvet and wrapper and maybe cashmere blanket, like undress her, but not all of her, just leave her lingerie on, but then put a nice cashmere blanket around her. So she's all sensual and cashmere. And then like one by one, like put different things in her mouth. Thanks for pressing play. This is Christopher Lockhead, Follow Your Different, the number one oddcast for people who value real, different conversations. Conversations about how to design a legendary business and a legendary life. And uh, we have a very special two-part series for you on intimacy and sex. Yep, we're doing it. We're going right there. (laughs) I think you're going to love it. On this episode, my friend and everyone's favorite intimacy guru and coach, Alana Pratt is back and uh, we have a great conversation. And uh, that's on this one, uh, part one. Part two is, um, you're going <laughs> to, this one's right out there. It's with none other than the legendary Alice Little. And she is a legal sex worker, that Alice Little. And Alice is the two-time number one companion of the year at um, Carson City, Nevada's Moonlight Bunny Ranch. And uh, we have a conversation that really, uh, uh, (laughs) we go through everything you ever wanted to know about her profession. Uh, She's got some advice for you in terms of how you can spice up your own sex life and a whole lot more. That's on the next episode with Alice Little. Now today, the legendary, the awesome, the fantastic, and uh, (laughs) this may be inappropriate, but I'm going to say it because I know she'd love it. The very sexy inside and out, Alana Pratt. And um, this conversation is a wonderful, magical mystery tour about intimacy, pain, pleasure. Uh, Alana talks about how we actually do feel through our hearts and much more. And pay special attention towards the end when Alana gives her ideas for some fun things uh, to do with your partner on Valentine's Day. <laughs> this is this is a very different episode. All right, go to lockhead.com and check out the show notes uh, and key takeaways. And now, hey ho, let's go. I think Valentine's Day is like a manufactured, stupid marketing, hike up the prices of roses and restaurants. And it generally pisses most people off. Like it feels like an obligation, right? Um, So if you're going to go into any event with the preconceived notion or the point of view that this already sucks, it's not going to go very well. That energy of it sucks is somehow going to seep into your Valentine's Day. So I would first say, acknowledge the truth that it there's obligation, crazy marketing energy, fine. But also welcome in the other half of reality, which is this is a reminder that you might have been taking your beloved for granted. This is an opportunity to really go, hey, intimacy really is a priority in my life. You know, this is an opportunity to be reminded that if you don't water the plant, the plant dies. So if you don't take time and energy to plan romantic things with your partner, it's going to wither. So look at the blessing of Valentine's Day as a, as a reminder that what if I, what if I had a Valentine's day once a month with my beloved? What if this became not just a once a year, but like a way of life, a lifestyle. I'm just going to like love the shit out of my partner. Um, so that's one point of view. 
And the other point of view I want to be open to is it's not just the guy's job to please the woman on Valentine's Day. I think it's just as important for women to go like, when's the last time I went out of my way to let him know he's special and I appreciate him? So these I, I agree. <laughs> Where are my fucking flowers? <laughs> what does Carrie do for you? Uh, listen, here's the reality. Every day is Valentine's Day for me. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I know no, that. she's unbelievable. I mean, the list would choke a, a, an army. I mean, it's just, she's beyond description. No, she makes everything legendary. That's what she does all day, every day. It's so, yeah, every, what was it? Oh, I, I remember when we were getting married. Yeah. <laughs> we were talking about, you know, bachelor party and so forth and so on. And, and she turns and she looks at me, she says, your whole fucking life is a bachelor party. <laughs> Oh my God. I forget the story of how you met. Can you tell me again? Oh, there's nothing particularly fascinating about it. We met at work. Ah, got it. And she was just so hot and intelligent and kind and could put up with you and you begged her to be with you or. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a little more complicated than that, but the, the net of it is um, uh, we both went through a divorce at the same time. Ah, and so, um, you know, it's just an inflection point in one's life. Mm. And, um, you know, it never occurred to me that I, I, I wouldn't be married to my first wife for my whole life. And so it was sort of a shocking yeah. experience for me because it wasn't on the table. And then, of course, it was. And that was that. And, uh, you know, she was going through a similar thing. And so we worked at the same company and, uh, uh, you know, I always thought she was great and certainly attractive and so forth, but it never occurred to me. I wasn't, you know, going to be married to the same person my whole life. And then, yeah. um, her and I ended up going through a similar transition at, at virtually the same time. And, you know, that can bring people close together and yeah. ultimately it did. I love it. I love it. Cool. Well, I've, I've gone through a divorce twice and haven't found another, haven't found it in my third. So Third, third time's the charm for me. So there isn't a third in the batter's box. Is that what I'm understanding? <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, is it, it must be tough to be Mr. Pratt. Um, you know, that's really funny you say that. <laughs> Maybe. Um, is Pratt your name or whose name is Pratt? Pratt <laughs> Who's is Pratt? my name. Pratt. Okay. Yeah, my father, uh, Pratt's Pharmacy, the little drugstore with the big heart. Kamloops, British Columbia, Canada. Oh, I love the way you say. Can you say Kamloops for me again, please? Kamloops. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I was Miss. I was Miss Kamloops Princess. Did you know that? No, but I'm not surprised. What does Miss Kamloops Princess mean? <laughs> it's like you know, like a pageant, like royalty. Yeah, but like how how old royalty. are you when you? Um, how, how? I was 18, and I uh, I was one of the first princesses to uh, be of drinking age. So the other princess and I, who were, was also of drinking age, we got kicked out for a period of time with the pageant because we went out drinking and dancing and that was a disgrace to the city. So yeah, it's like a, it's like um, when you run for- So you're a disgraced princess. I was for a little bit. I fell from grace, but then we got back on again. Um, and it's a great story too with the Miss Kamloops princess because you have to do a speech with Toastmasters. You have to do like a talent. And I danced because, you know, I've been a dancer since I was like five. Um, there was a bathing suit section, but it was a one piece. Um, 
And it was really between me and this other girl. And so I liked her, but I wouldn't let myself like her too much because I wanted to beat her. And she figured I was the competition too. And you know what? Neither of us won. (laughs) We were both the princesses and we became the best of friends in that 50th birthday party that I just told you about. And so was there a queen? Yes, there was. There was a queen. queen And and you were a princess. I was a princess. Yes. Okay. But like, hey. No, super. There you are. Super important to be humbled in life early on. Super important. I think uh, it's highly underrated to have somebody die on you early or to fail early or like my best friend died when I was 16. Certainly not fun at the time, but oh my God, what a lesson, Christopher, that I got to choose. How am I going to be about this? Am I going to shut down and be a victim or am I going to go, thank you for the time that I had knowing them? Right? Like, would I rather not be feeling this pain right now and never have loved them? Or can I be grateful for this and go and let their life inspire me to live more fully? And so at 16 years old, I remember that very decision. I remember I was out at Shushwap Lake. There's this lake in British Columbia. And out my at f- what? What lake? I know all the funny names, right? Shushwap. Say it with me. Shushwap. Shushwap. Shushwap Lake. You know, First First Nations, uh, Indian name, uh, Shushwap Lake. And I was driving back down after I'd had this realization, quite young really for a spiritual thought. So um, in hindsight, but I was like, I, there was a fork in the road. Never meet this person, never feel this pain. Meet this person, share all those good times and feel this pain and learn how the hell am I going to open my heart again? And I chose the second path. And as soon as I internally said, no, I'm going to figure out how to be grateful and open my heart and live fully. I I swear it was a a totally clear day. And we're driving down out to where the lake is. And I can see my cabin in the the, forward. On a clear blue day, Christopher, there were two rainbows, two rainbows right over my house. And the reason why two is so significant, one, I figure it was a sign from them from heaven, but their mom had just died 10 months earlier. And I remember them saying to me, can I just come over and talk to your mom? I don't really want to talk to you. I just really miss my mom. Can I talk to your mom? And to think that they were together in heaven and that that was my lesson to learn how to open my heart in the face of anything and say, I love you when I feel it. Go for my dreams, even if I fail, uh, be rejected and keep going. Like all these choices I've made in my life really is from that horrible experience. So whether it was being a princess, not a queen of a pageant, or whether it was something tragic like losing my friend. I'm part of the reason I became an intimacy expert is like intimacy is about being able to sit in the, the dark muck and not leave yourself. You know, go into the dark room of our heart where our ashamed, upset, terrified, insecure part of us is and go in there and, you know, bring in some scotch. And sit with them in the dark and be willing to never leave for eternity if that's how long it takes for them to feel safe and come home into your heart again. That's the deep work I do with my clients. So, um, mm. yeah, I didn't think we were going to start the interview talking about that. But um, I was trying to be all funny and lighthearted and being a princess. <laughs> but, but that's me. I'm, I'm deep. I'm a deep chick. That's how that goes. Yeah. Yeah, we got here fast. That's okay, though. Yeah. 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 That's why I hopped on my uncle Phil. And so it's it's that that's uh, well, it's in my mind is those are some of the barriers to intimacy. Yeah, that at least some of us need to grapple with. Yeah, 
that even though this like maybe is a surface conversation, like Valentine's Day ideas, really, I'd like it to be a deeper one as well, like roots and shoots, um, that I think a lot of the hunger we feel is that we don't have that, we think we don't have that connection with another. And that may be accurate, but really that's just an outer projection of our inner lack of connection with ourself, that hunger for ourself, that hunger for all aspects of ourself being welcomed to the dinner table. The wobbly and secure part as much as the triumphant part, everybody's welcome. This motley crew is welcome in my heart. And really this hunger to feel like, does the universe really have our back? Like, does this quantum field, this scientifically proven feedback loop that apparently is checking in on my vibration a million times a second, according to the scientists, does that mean God's really what, is, what did you just say there? <laughs> um, I know. Remember, I didn't go to school and I drink a lot. <laughs> okay, so the geek in me loves to interview quantum physicists. And um, I was just down at the HeartMath uh, annual conference in Cancun talking to the head scientist. And so... There is uh, the field. Heart math. Heart math. You've never heard of heart math? Oh. No. Okay. Well, we've got some fun to talk about then. Heart math. I'm educating you, dude. Yep. uh, It's been around for about 30 years, and it scientifically proves coherence in the heart. It scientifically proves that the heart sends 5,000 times more information to the brain than the brain sends to the heart. It proves there is a field, electromagnetic field around your body from your heart that's three feet wide. But guess what the field is from your little brain that we always overthink and think has all the answers? It's only an inch. It's a little baby inch. And so our heart actually first knows. There's actually ganglia in the heart. There's a brain in the heart. It's actually proven that there's these neurons firing in in the heart. And it goes first from the heart to the brain. Then the brain tells the body to, I'm nervous, or regulate your body or do things. Heart first, brain second, body third. Now, as an intimacy expert, intuitively, I always Can I slow you down there? Yeah, you can. What do I know about biology or neurology or all the ologies? (laughs) That sounds like a profound uh, insight. Isn't it? Well, I I don't know. You tell me, but my assumption is that the context, the paradigm, the relationship we have is one where we believe that um, we exist in our brain. If you said, where are you in your body? A lot of us think we're here pointing to the head. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, And what you're saying is maybe not. No, no. Or maybe absolutely not. And I believe. And we and thought the brain does the thinking, but you think the heart does the thinking. The heart or what does, do you think? I would use the word knowing. The heart does the knowing. The heart is like pre-thinking, pre-verbal. It just knows. And when you're coherent in your heart, which means you're in uh, alignment, harmony, compassion, empathy, love, kindness, when you're in that, that's a vibration that you can literally measure. Like they have, remember when I went to go get my earbuds for you, um, I'm in my purse, there is a little, another heart math, a little clicker you put on your ear and you hook it up to the app in your phone and you can literally measure your coherence, how coherent you are, how in harmony you are, how in kindness you are. And the numbers go up and down. And what's fascinating is what first begins to raise your vibration. And the reason we want a higher vibration in our heart 
is that keeps us in our prefrontal cortex, not our reptilian brain. Our reptilian brain is when it's like fight, flight, freeze. We get into a fight with our spouse. We yell at the kids. We make a stupid decision with money. That's our like our reptilian brain. But our prefrontal cortex, that's where we have abstract thinking, creative thinking, okay? But also when we are coherent in our heart, that vibration, we can also hear our uh-huh, uh-uh, our intuition, our instincts. And that, of course, is very important to know how to what to sense what your lover's feeling in bed, but it's also to sense, don't go on that freeway, go on that freeway. Like it's a safety mechanism as well, the intuition. But here's the other cool thing. When you're coherent in your heart, you are connected with non-local intuition, which means you have no clue why you know who's about to call and then they call, right? These things that happen to us, that's actually measured in science as the non-local field. We can call it God, the universe, the field, but you can have access to information that's one million times a second in a feedback loop coming back to your being of, of insights, inspiration. So that's when, when people say co-creating with the universe, that's actually the science of what's going on. And it's not possible if you go up to your brain. You cannot, and here's the big one, you can't think your way to coherence, harmony, kindness, love. You have to feel your way there. And that's also been scientifically proven. You can't think, you must feel. And so the reason this information turns me on so much is that a lot of people can't feel. They, they drink it away, drug it away, uh, addiction it away. Uh, they spin so fast trying to figure it out, look good, do it right, get approval, that they don't sink into their heart and feel. Because if they did, it's not going to feel very good in there initially if they've been hating on themselves rejecting themselves, criticizing themselves. It's not going to feel very good. Maybe they're anxious, overwhelmed, scared, you know? So the idea is we have to learn how to not only feel so that we can have these superpowers of our intelligence, of our prefrontal cortex, right? And the superpowers of our intuition, our instincts, like that's a good enough reason. But, you know, this next reason that we really want to, to do the feeling part is we've got to learn how to navigate intense emotions. We've got to learn how to sit in the fire. We've got to learn to stay present with our kids, present with our lover, present with our own fears. And if we can't learn how to do that, we're never going to have access to our superpowers. We're never going to have access to co-creating with the field. And then we don't have this juicy, incredible, intimate relationship with ourselves, with the field, with God, the universe, with our beloved on the outside if we can't have it on the inside. Am I making sense? <laughs> I don't know, but I'm I'm enjoying the ride. I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you're enjoying the ride. Yeah. Um, well, there's lots there. So um, just because it's been on my mind a lot lately. Yes. People's inability to sit with, uh, communicate, and then respond to uh, massive pain and suffering. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's extraordinary. There's been a big aha in my life of late, which is yeah. many people, many people, some of whom are in professions where this is, to say it the way people say it today, supposedly what they do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't have room for yeah. what I would call my authentic expression of anger, pain, and grief. Let me say it that way. Mm, mm. Professionals. <laughs> and so 
Why do you think it is that sitting with and or communicating about extreme um, pain and suffering and anger, many of us don't appear to have a lot of room for? Yeah, it's a it's a science thing. And I'll give you the like the symbolism of it. And I'll give you the science of it. A trauma is an experience and we can measure it as a size of an energy. It's an energy too big to process in the moment. So to, to, in order to be able to process larger energies, it's a capacity. It's a capacity. Think of like a little straw versus a big wide hose, right? So we don't, we have to grow our capacity to be with anger, sadness. I couldn't be with it either before I started as an intimacy expert 20 years ago. Not at all. I would spin in my head. So I've learned and there's processes that can help people learn how to stay present and navigate these intensities. It's a, it's a, it's a, you have to learn how. One of the ways is what I was describing before, breathing through the heart and staying in your body as opposed to spinning in your head. Another way is to, is to really understand that life is not all pleasure. Life is actually scientifically proven to be half pain and half pleasure, half challenge and half support. But we have been taught that one half is wrong and bad and get away from it and clamor, clamor for the pleasure. But if you really wake up and you're taught from an early age, there's nothing wrong with pain. Don't push it away. There's nothing wrong with anger. Don't push it away. There's nothing wrong with sadness. Don't push it away. In fact, lean in, lean in, get curious, breathe. And so I do these visualizations with people. I call them like the little you. And you, when the feeling arises of sadness, let's say, instead of pushing it away, having a drink, going on Facebook, doing whatever we do, we lean in and we see in our mind's eye a little you and we bring them close and we acknowledge rather than fix. Yeah, you have every right to be sad. Tell me more. Like how many of us actually parent our kids that way or re-parent ourselves that way? Or if you're anger and angry, same thing. Tell me what's out of alignment. Tell me what's out of integrity. Tell me where your values are not being honored. Tell me more rather than push the anger down, which creates depression, or spew it out on others, which is abuse. But if we can sit in our own fires and dance with these Yeah. Can you slow down and say those two things again about anger? Yeah. Anger is an energy that's not good, bad, right, or wrong. It's just an energy telling us that we're out of integrity, where our values are not being aligned, that we need to take an action. It's a potency to wake you up to take an action. That's what anger is. But because we haven't been taught this and learned how to breathe through anger, we push it down, which creates depression. We've depressed the the energy down. We go into apathy. So you're saying the 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 pushing down, the resisting, the not acknowledging, the not presencing, the not dealing with anger Avoiding. creates depression. The avoidance of anger creates depression. Yes, yes. So and I'm on a metaphysical level, I'm not talking, I'm not a doctor. I'm talking on an energetic, emotional level. Pushing anger down creates depression, apathy. And if we don't press it down, if we try to get rid of it and spew it onto others, well, that's abuse, physical or verbal. No one's taught us how to ride. It's like you're a surfer. And, and that's the, the, uh, the mantra. That's the mantra. Hurt people, hurt, hurt people, and healed people, heal people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. For a loopy doopy gal, you're pretty good. Thanks. So what? <laughs> 
So that's what happens with anger when it's officially uh, used in a healthy manner. It will see, have you ever heard of the Hawkins scale of consciousness? The exactly Hawkins, H A W K I N S, Hawkins scale of consciousness. The very lowest down is like shame, guilt, apathy, very low vibration. Um, as we rise up towards being more conscious and joyful and loving, you know what the next one up is? Anger. Mm. And normally, because people are judged, like, oh, you crazy bitch, you can't be angry, or you're a jerk, you're an asshole, don't be angry. So then we suppress it down and we, many of my clients come to me in this loop of like anger, apathy, anger, apathy, and they can't break free. And what's above anger when I help them to process. So you can't, this is another thing I want to remind people of you, you can't create or destroy energy, but you can change it. You can transform it. And so this, this energy that's coming up as anger, and then you press it down and goes down to shame, guilt, apathy, and up. It's an energy. So we have to transform it. And so the processes that I've been trained in as a coach literally integrate, merge, transform this energy into the next level up, which is allowance. Now, allowance in my vocabulary is different than acceptance. Acceptance has more of a, well, fine, I'll just put up with it. I'll give up. I'll give in. Kind of like a victim energy. But allowance to me is a very active, it means I, I don't fucking love this. I don't prefer it. This is not okay with me, but I'm, I'm clever enough to know. I'm not going to give away my power resisting anything because what you resist persists. I'm clever enough to take my power back and be an allowance which means zero resistance, saying it is what it is so that I can use this inner, this anger through my heart, in my, uh, through my body into this next level of choice for the highest good of all. So that's what this allowance is about. And it's, it takes a lot of bravery. It takes a lot. You have to feel your spine. You have to be vulnerable and open your heart. It hurts. It's intense. It's very intense to let that amount of energy come through when you've been wronged, betrayed, cheated on, uh, all the different horrible things that happen on this planet. So this takes, it takes practice, takes bravery. It takes also humility because you don't get to have your ego be right and blame people all day. Okay. So we have to even let go of righteousness. We have to let go of our ego to really be an allowance of it is what it is. I resist nothing. And here's my choice. And we move forward from our deepest truth. But that's, that's the beautiful privilege I have of working with people when we go through this intimacy training. Maybe they've lost. Maybe their spouse has died. You know, maybe it's not necessarily that they've been betrayed by them being cheated on. Maybe it's just been a shock. One day they come home and their spouse is dead, right? Either way, that's the trauma, this energy that's too big to process in the moment that I have learned through brain science, quantum field, and my, just how much I love people and how safe I am with people and I don't judge people, like all these superpowers together, can take them through that loop they get stuck in into allowance, which tips them from unconscious to conscious, victim to choice, and, and closed heart to open heart. And then I'm like, okay, great, what are we choosing? And that's the energy that the universe listens to, choice. This vibration that we started the conversation with, the coherence in the heart, if you're truly coherent, you're in harmony with the moment. That doesn't mean you like the moment, but you're not going to resist the moment. Harmony is like da-da, right? So like to me and life in harmony, and I'm going to be with this. I'm going to ride the wave. Bring it. You know, dare ya. It's got, you can have an edge to it, like a badass edge to it. And then we choose. 
And then we have to use this fire that used to be anger as fuel in our wings to take action in alignment with our highest good. And if we do this in a relationship, if we do this in our families, we start doing it in our communities, we start doing it on the planet, you know, there's a pretty damn good ripple effect. And when I was interviewing the head scientist of HeartMath on my podcast, he said 350,000 people in coherence, in harmony, not resisting, at choice, in allowance, living from their highest truth, choosing this, changes the electromagnetic field of the whole planet such that other people were swimming in a higher vibration on the planet so that you pick up the gun, you know, you put it down. You, you lift up your hand to hit your kid and you put your hand down. Like these moments where the choice is... And we just hit the kid a little every once in a while. <laughs> we go for a tickle. We, we do the tickle instead. I don't know. We make them piss their pants tickling <laughs> them instead. I don't know. But we make a better choice. Uh, yeah. We can actually make a difference by our very vibration which affects the field that everybody lives in. And it gets easier for everybody on the planet to make a better choice. Like that's science. It's not woo-woo. It's measurable. So that's why I get up every day and I, and I take care of my little Alana inside my heart because I get scared. As, as you said earlier, there's no one in the batting box. What did you? I'm not a good sports analogy yeah, there's person. There's nobody in the batter's <laughs> box. box. I don't know. <laughs> Right, like okay. no, you, you, you don't have a husband candidate on the horizon. No, you can go find him for me. Put out your feelers to all your good good men. Um, yeah, so there's moments you know, where it, I feel as a side note, and this may be un unfair, yeah. but it just feels like as a society we create more good women than we do men. Am I is that am I being sexualist against men when I say that? I think it's been more socially acceptable for women to feel. And when you feel and you heal, you become more empowered and more conscious. It hasn't been as safe for men to feel. And so socially, I think they might appear behind because they haven't had the welcome mats, the welcome party to, to do the feeling. And if they start to do the feeling, then they might be made wrong as wussy or pussy. So I, I don't know if there's, I'm, mm, I, what I'm trying to say is, thing. yeah, I do. I think it's because, remember how I said earlier, you can't think your way to coherence. You can only feel your way there. That's science. That's not women are better than men. That's, wow, women practice feeling in general. There's a lot of women that live in their heads as well and are very, very masculine. However, in general, if you have more safety and allowance and, and welcoming to feel and you can heal, you're going to evolve as a consciousness. I was in told, do you know if this is true? Yeah. I was told this a long time ago and I've been meaning to look this up. I was told this by a um, psychologist that it's been scientifically proven that women experience uh, feelings or emotions, but five to seven X that of a man. And so what he said to me is think of any feeling you've ever had. Mm. And then think when a gal has that feeling, it's five X that Am I remembering this right? Is this is this true? Am I making this up? I, I can't 100% say that I've read exactly the same statistic, but it makes a lot of sense to me. And especially people that uh, identify themselves as empathic, I know for sure that they feel more. And I remember the moment too with my little boy, I yelled at him when he was like, I don't know, five or something about something. And he just cowered. And I'm like, come on. He's like, mom, that feels like a thousand icicles stabbing me. Mm -hmm. And I was like, whoa. This kid feels deeply. And in the spiritual community, 
it is believed that autistic kids are actually operating um, congruently on the planet, like the amount that they are sensitive. We have become so desensitized from from brutality and violence and unkindness, and 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 we so we don't react as much. We check out, but that they are actually yeah. appropriately reacting to the unkindness and cruelty on the planet. They're actually a gift for us to come home. Um, as a in the scientific or in the spiritual community, people often say that about autistic kids. So it makes sense about women as well. I do know our clitoris has way more nerve endings than the penis. <laughs> <laughs> well, then here we go. <laughs> so we, we have bigger Let's orgasms. Let's get right to it. That I know is scientifically proven. So it would make sense that well, we could have more. Congratulations to you. Thank you. I love my clitoris. <laughs> She's... <laughs> Yeah, there's ten thousand comments rolling around in my head, none of which I'm saying out loud, just for the record, <laughs> or maybe in my heart. I don't know, rolling around somewhere in me. <laughs> uh, uh, I was just googling around. I, I didn't want to get too lost, but it looks like there's a bunch of research around uh, women feeling pain more than men and other areas and so forth. So I'm not 100 percent sure. It takes well, some more work, but anyway, that's not fair. But you're, you're the one that give birth. My God. Yeah, that would seem like a bummer. It it it, it hurt, but um, it's also again feeling so much love for my son. It's amazing how quickly I forgot all the pain of natural childbirth with no drugs. Yeah, I. I uh, <laughs> it's like I don't even know. Like I, it sounds insane. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. We're in awe, right? Women make people, and then they make food to feed the people. Yeah. It's like, you know, and men make a mess. <laughs> I love coaching great men. I, um, you know, my story of all the hell I went through with the custody battle, et cetera. And my dad turning against me and testifying against me with my ex, like not a, not a fun time. I had every right to really get bitter with men. So, um, what is the movie? It's a few good men. Like it doesn't take a lot of, yeah. of noble men living in their heart, doing the right thing. Um, to make a difference on the planet. And I'd rather just focus on the great men that come to me to heal their hearts and be great men and, and be great lovers and be great fathers. Like those are my clients. So I think, I think men are great. And the ones that aren't, I forgive. Um, I don't forget, but I'm not going to carry around the toxin of anger and poison that they cause. That would mean I'm the victim of their behavior. Uh-uh, sorry, I'm victorious. I will not carry around toxin. I will forgive but I will become wiser and I won't forget and I will have healthier boundaries and I will have more self-worth to be treated better because I, you know, took two. Um, I was in a relationship with them and, you know, maybe not with my father, obviously as a child, but as an adult, full responsibility for my own behaviors, no victims here, grow and learn and hang out with great men. Yeah. I remember being at dinner the yeah. other night with you and Scott was on the other side of me and I was like, wow, so grateful to be around great men who speak so lovingly of their wives. Um, yeah. Phenomenal. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And, you know, uh, sort of the, the counter to the, my point earlier, uh, I was, I was, as you were talking, I it just sort of hit me. Like I'm surrounded by every day. Yeah. Legendary men. Mm, mm, mm. Like, as a matter of fact, there's no man in my life of consequence who I wouldn't put in that category. Mm. And what did you do to- Like 360 degree men. Yeah. And like 
fucking men. Yeah. And I don't mean in any macho way. I mean, these are guys you'd want to hang out with for have fun and go skiing and surfing and have a beer with. Yeah. And these are guys who, when the shit hits the fan, they show up. Yeah. These are guys who are incredible providers, who have achieved levels of mastery in their chosen fields, yeah. who the ones who are fathers are deeply committed and they're like fucking Hall of Fame husbands. Yeah. Right? Uh, I know a lot of men like that. Yeah. Yeah. What did you do to create a world like that? Because going back to the conversation about vibration, when you're coherent in your heart, when you are aligned with your best self, you can be your most clever, your most intuitive, but you're also a vibration, which again, a million times a second goes out to the field and comes back and creates things. So I would say, without blowing too much air up your skirt, that your vibration is one of a, is of a legendary man to attract that. Thank and you. To That's kind it. of you to say. Well, you're welcome. But it's also science your vibration that you have worked your ass off to be a legendary man, to face your demons and to work through them would vibrationally attract, cultivate and grow those similar legendary men and your wife. You know, as you're talking, what I'm thinking about is, okay, yeah. So why is that the case? And this might sound judgmental, but it's what's true for me. Yeah. If you're not, I don't fucking respect you. Thank you. Go get your shit handled. Thank you. Like be a person, mm-hmm. you know, be a, be, be a provider, achieve a level of mastery and success in your chosen domain such that others in that domain look to you as somebody who's a master. I don't care if you're a carpenter yes. or you're Bill Gates, but, but the men that I know achieve a level of, uh, competence and mastery yeah. and res- the respect that comes with it. And the men that I know that don't get to that by somewhere between 35 and 55, yeah. they're fucked in the head in a profound way. Um, on relationships, go be with a legendary woman. And, you know, I talk to young guys all the time about this. It's like, well, I, you know, I want this gal who she's everything, right? She's beautiful. She's sexy. She's all that. And she's smart and she's career oriented. And, you know, if they want to have kids, she, she's, you know, they want the whole fucking list, right? And they say, okay, so how do I meet women like that? And I say, it's really simple. Ask yourself this question. The woman that you want to be with what does the man that she's with, what does that man look like? Yeah. Is it you? Yeah. Yeah. Be that fucking man. Totally. Totally. 100%. Right? 100% <laughs> agree. Yeah. And what I want to also underscore the presupposition to that statement of I don't respect you is you don't allow them into your circle. You don't spend your time, no, energy. If you're, no. Look, if you're a deadbeat dad, <laughs> I'm not hanging out with you. Yeah. If you suck at your career, I'm not, ha- I'm not talking about going through a hard spot. I'm not talking about taking on something. I'm not talking about, I'm not even talking about having a failure. I'm talking about you suck. You don't really try. You don't really give a fuck. Yeah. You're just yeah. you know, dragging your ass through your thing. You're not turned on by your chosen you know, work is a huge part of our, you know, so yeah. I think that how are you? And now look, some people are not so work oriented. That's okay too. Then who are you in the community? Right. Who are you As in your family? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, are you, are you in, you know, are you engaged in your faith in some way? Are you, you know, yeah. whatever it is, yeah. 
Who are you? Are you a fucking serious human being across a set of dimensions that matter that you're a person of consequence or you're working on it? And if you're not, I'm not interested. Yeah. And here's something really, yeah, please. No, I was, you know, so that's on the male side, but the truth is it's, it's, it's true with all the women in my life. I don't have any fuck up, loser, failure, fuck women. Women I have in my life are legendary as are, well. Are legendary rock stars. Totally. Yeah. And if they're mothers, they're mother effer mothers, you know. And like if they're, <laughs> they're entrepreneurs, they're entrepreneurs. Or yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And I, you know, no. beautiful, smart, the whole thing, right? Yeah. I really, really want to underscore the amount of self worth you have and willingness to be rejected or let people think what they want to think or whatever it is to go, no, no, this is how my life goes. Everyone around it is legendary. I'm up for a legendary life and anybody else, they're not even going to be on my radar. So many people get stuck on trying to fix people or they settle or they marry for potential or what have you, or they're legendary in two or three areas, but they don't want anybody to know they yell at their wife. Or they're having affairs all the time because they can shine people on so much. If you yell at your wife, you're an asshole. Thank you. Well, maybe every so often in coaching sessions that I'll bring bring you in. But here's the beauty is that. (laughs) And by the way, if you yell at your husband, you're an asshole. True, 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 true. One of the strange reasons, whatever I was created was that there's there's a lot of people that what you're saying is cut and dry 100% I agree with you but the reality is most humans don't have legendary in all areas of their life there's normally an area that they're ashamed of that they that is so out of control I don't know how to change this it could be like an eating disorder it could be an addiction to porn it could be you know out here I'm really nice to everybody but back home I yell at my kids and my wife all the time or I have an addiction to this like there's there's a lot of people who operate at a very high level and on first glance look really good but they have this one thing that they don't know how to handle and and which makes them try to shine brighter and try, try harder and normally it takes a train wreck for them to come to me and say oh my god and now I've got cancer. Oh, oh my God, she found out about the affair. Or, oh my God, now you know I lost my business. Normally it takes a train wreck for them to call me, but every so often I get a brave one who's like, I know a train wreck's coming and I know I shouldn't be doing X, Y, Z. And I have so much self-hatred that, and I'm stuck and I need not a therapist to tell me I'm doing this. I know I'm doing this. I don't need a greater understanding of that I'm doing this. Fix it, help me. And I need someone who's not gonna judge me. I need someone who's not going to judge me that I'm really ashamed about a certain part of my life and I really want to clean it up and I don't know what to do. Like those are the brave souls that I really, really actually do respect. Not respect that they're yelling at their wife or or addicted to whatsoever. Like I'm not saying that's a respectful behavior, but I respect their bravery to own it. And I respect their humility to ask for help. And I respect them that they're they have courage that they've gotten into their heart enough to have the courage to call and ask me and that they're brave enough to be vulnerable and share and be transparent and be honest and clean up their mess, clean up their messes and do the work. The ones I don't respect would be, I know I'm doing this and I don't care. And I think I'm right and you're wrong and they're all in their ego and they're blaming others and making excuses and all that. Like those ones I don't respect. So it's not necessarily the behavior. It's how they're being about the behavior, which elicits my respect or disrespect. What were you going to say? But uh, you said just one of my favorites, you know, clean up the mess. Yeah. Like, look, 
you know, this term today, adulting, right? <laughs> Which <laughs> I, I, I'm embracing, right? Um, and part of adulting is you got to handle your shit. And yes. some of it is self-inflicted wounds, right? Mm-hmm. We all do it. It's the stupidest thing we do. Most of us know it when we're doing it. So there's, you got to handle your own mess. Yeah. And then of course, there are those profound times in life where life hands us a giant mess. Yeah. And as Viktor Frankl teaches us, you can't change the circumstances. You got to change yourself. Correct. And Victor's so amazing. You know how he speaks about the, the what happens and then the reaction. But in, in between that, there's a pause. Remember that part of the book? There's a choice. There's a, the choice. We have a choice. Yes, but back to the beginning of the conversation, that choice uh, from our brain is like a sprinkle, a sprinkle on top of an ice cream cone of shit. We can't make a choice based from truth, from our soul, from our brain. That choice is actually based in being able to sit in the fire, navigate our intense emotions, keep our heart open in the face of any fucking circumstance, and do the right thing. That's a feeling. <laughs> You're laughing at me. Stop it. Why are you laughing at me? <laughs> no, I just... <laughs> I know it's terrible. It's terrible what I'm going to say, oh, but I'm going to say it anyway. Fine. I dig chicks who swear. Oh, okay. Who drink scotch and who are Canadian. I've even got more bonus points, right? Uh- Oh, you're unbelievable. Yeah. You know, it's it's why I married my wife. She swears like just, but yeah, you're a Canadian chick who swears and drinks beer and scotch and shit. <laughs> fucking A girl. Fucking A. Fucking A. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So that's, that's what. Or, or I should say, sorry. 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 Um, yeah. So the choice in between what happens, the event and the reaction so that we can respond instead and choose. That's actually based on your capacity to feel, keep your heart open, breathe, stay centered. Because if you can't do that, you're not going to stay in your prefrontal cortex or listen to your intuition and, and hear the whisper of your soul's badass truth. You're not literally scientifically functionally able. You will have a closed heart, you will be in your reptilian brain. You will fight or fight or fight or flight or freeze, and you will make a horrific decision. And that's not the choice we're looking for. We're looking for heart-centered choices, noble badass choices. That's what we're looking for. Noble badass choices. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Is there anything else that you would like to touch on, Ms. Uh, Pratt? Well, I, I was supposed to give them Valentine's Day ideas. Like, should I still do that? I don't even know who you're talking about. It's just you and me. <laughs> you want to give me Valentine's ideas? Or <laughs> okay, well, why don't, okay, how about this? Tell me what you're doing for Carrie for Valentine's Day, and I'll amp it up, spice it up, juice it up, give you some more mojo about it. How about that? So a little bit per some of the stuff we talked about earlier, we don't go out to dinner. We don't do any of that dumb shit because, to your point, yeah. that's all just the commercial Yeah. You know, literally Valentine's Day is literally the, and look, I don't want to shit on anybody's Valentine's Day, so I'm sorry, but like, it's sort of the dumbest night of the year to go out to dinner, isn't it? Totally. It's a complete waste of money. So yeah. anyway, yeah. whatever. We're, you know, we've been married a while. We, we don't, so we're past that. So I don't know what we'll do, but we'll probably do something simple. Like she'll probably cook at home yeah. and she's an incredible cook yeah. and we'll probably go for a walk to the beach okay. and maybe have a nice glass of wine. And just have a quiet, you know, if it's cold out, maybe we'll put on a fire and, you know, we'll just have kind of a quiet night around, Mm -hmm. you know, hanging out. Is she, what turns her on the most when you do things for like gifts, 
Is she like really sensual? Does she like touch? Is she turned on when your mind, like when you remember things and are grateful for them? Like how, how, how do you notice that she's most appreciative of your love? Um, (laughs) so, um, she really likes me to rub her feet. Told me this once. I'm having a memory. Yeah. Okay. So so we'll be sitting there. Yeah. You know, it's normally like after dinner or whatever. Maybe the TV's on. Yeah. And it's it's always at that exact moment where I begin like seriously chilling my nuts. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this this bottle of lotion will land <laughs> in my lap. And then shortly thereafter, her feet will whack my <laughs> my thigh. And she'll say, <laughs> It puts the lotion on its skin. <laughs> it, it, it. <laughs> it puts the lotion on its skin. And that means I'm up. <laughs> uh, uh, and of course, I just fucking do it. So I rub her feet. Because you're a good man. You're a noble badass. Well. Yeah. Um, okay. So so she likes touch. She likes massage. Have you ever, yeah. have you ever um, given her like a real sensual um experience like blindfolded her maybe brought like prepared it ahead of time like a platter of goodies and like blindfolded her with like nice velvet and wrapper and maybe cashmere blanket like undress her but not all of her just leave her lingerie on but then put a nice cashmere blanket around her so she's all sensual and cashmere and then like one by one like put different things in her mouth like it could be like a sour lemon or like chocolate or it could be like a tortilla, salty tortilla chip. And then maybe on her body, you could do like feathers or like scratcher, like just all these different like sensations. And she has no freaking clue what's coming next. And she's like kind of twitterpated and delighted and a little nervous, but a little excited all at the same time. And it, what would the statement be? It, it does central things on it. It like just like plays with her senses. Do you think she'd be into that? Think she'd be like, you're such a dork. Stop it. I don't know, but I kind of want to hear you keep talking about it. (laughs) Well, can't you just imagine like the chocolate could be like molten dark chocolate or it could be like an ice cube down the side of her neck. Like it could, you could have like lots of fun. You remember, um, this is, this is digging way back, but, uh, do you remember the movie nine and a half weeks? Of course I do. Yeah. Right? Isn't there sort of like, isn't half the movie a sex scene where they do stuff like that? Pretty much half of it, yes. Yes. Oh, my God. Is it, who's the gal in that movie? Is it Kim Bassinger? Bassinger? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Mickey Rourke, yeah, right? that was a hot movie. Yeah. yeah, that was a sexy movie yeah. back in 1912. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I'm old enough to totally remember that. In fact, we danced to that underground train to uh, uh, when I was a dancer in Japan when I was <laughs> 20. Yeah. Wow. Well, there you go. All sorts of sexy, crazy stories. Well, so now I have I have some very creative ideas for Valentine's Day. Yeah. yeah. That don't involve going to a restaurant. Yeah. So yeah, you can feed her dinner, all these different foods. You can just touch her body in all these different ways. If she likes to be tied up, you could do the blindfold and tie her up. And if she likes more, you know, liquid, lounging, sensual, you could put all of the, you know, blankets around her and rubber feet, you know, just whatever energy she likes. Yeah. I say surpriser, <laughs> Christopher. Excellent. Oh, fuck. <laughs> All right, Alana Pratt, anything else? <laughs> well, I also want, I'm sure you tell her how much you love her all the time, but are you specific? Like, are you specific? Do you catch her in the act of all the things she does and like 
verbally tell her? Yes. Well, I'll ask her if she thinks I'm specific enough. I think I, like, I'll say, you know, I'll thank her for doing a certain thing or say, I, I really appreciate it when you do that. Or you're really great about X or, yeah. you know, et cetera, et cetera. Because you could do like a magic mic dance for her. You could um, get her 12 roses and give her one rose at a time with a reason that you love her, a reason why you think she's beautiful inside and out, a reason why you think her mind is beautiful, her emotions are beautiful, a beautiful friend, a beautiful lover, like all the different ways that beauty can be inside and out. You can give her like one rose at a time. And then you could do like a magic mic dance as you're doing this. And you could like take off your shirt and then take off your belt. Every rose, another piece of your clothing comes off and she could have a little like strip show rose giving affirmation of why she's awesome. You can just have so much fun. I just want to be a fly on the wall and <laughs> watch you do this. <laughs> Yeah, you could have fun. Yeah, no, it sounds terrible. It sounds like fun. Just the- you know I'm the least romantic guy ever. Aw, well, I'm hoping these are maybe some fun ideas for you to get out of your comfort zone. And <laughs> at least, I mean, even if it's just the funniest, dorkiest story she tells all your friends and all the other guys are like, you did what? You know, it's just just to, I think it's important to get outside of our comfort zone. Yes. I really do. To stir things up, to shake things up. Um, well, thank you for <laughs> for all the the literal food for thought. Good, enjoy. I'm just so happy for you, and thank you for being a legendary. Anything else, Alana? Just thanks for being a legendary couple, no. legendary couple, legendary man, and for having me on. Thank you. Well, thank you, Alana. You're fantastic. I love you. Thank you so much for coming back. I hope you come back again. You are uh, you're you're a fantastic magical mystery tour of a conversationalist. <laughs> Thank you. We go a lot of places and that's a a testament to you that you can go there with me. So thank you. Yeah. Well, I like hanging out with you. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Alana. Mm -hmm. Stay legendary, my friend. All right. Much love. Many thanks. Well, uh, there she is. The spectacular Alana Pratt. And I'm sure hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I had having it. Um, and I want to remind you to make sure and subscribe to this podcast on whatever your favorite um, podcast player is to make sure you get our next episode with the number one companion legal sex uh, uh, legal sex worker Alice Little. She's fantastic. She's fun. She's surprising. She's super smart. She's college educated. And she's going to make you think differently about not just her profession, but about your sex life. All right. We would like to thank incredible Alana Pratt. Check out alanaprat.com. That's A-L-L-A-N-A-P-R-A-T-T.com. And uh, <laughs> she's got a great website. She's a great gal. Thank you again. My good friends at OneLifeFullyLive.org. This is the nonprofit helping you dream, plan, and live your best life. Check out OneLifeFullyLive.org. All right. I need to remind you that this podcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network, and we would love you just a little bit extra if you shared the shit out of it. Uh, Your shares make a giant difference to us, and um, it's the way you can express your love. (laughs) I need to warn you, of course, that this Oddcast is clearly created in a studio that does contain nuts. We're produced by the incomparable Jamie J and Sarah Knox, edited by Mike D, the man, and show notes by the uh, irascible Diane Gervasio. Remember to love yourself, Success is not the result of spontaneous combustion. You must set yourself on fire. Thank you, Candy Dandy. I love you, Mom and Dad. And hey, Colin, this oddcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? 
Today, our deepest apologies go out to Dennis Mullenberg, former CEO of Boeing. Sorry, Dennis, we just ran out of time for you. That's it, my friends. Thank you so much. It means the world to me that you invest part of your life with us. Stay legendary, and until we're together again, follow your different.